got mail. This morning we continue our study series, Letters to the Churches. We come to this second of seven letters that Jesus wrote, the letter to the church in Smyrna. The primary focus of this letter, I think, can be summed up in two key phrases in verse 10. In fact, let's read them out loud together. Would you read this with me? Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Be faithful even to the point of death. As we unpack this second letter together, we'll discover that these believers were struggling in the face of some pretty intense trials and tribulations. They were dealing with pressure, poverty, and persecution as a result of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. Persecution in ways that you and I can probably not even begin to imagine. And so Jesus encourages them, do not be afraid. Be faithful. What does such intense suffering for being a Christian have to do with us today? Hang in there with me. Because I believe that Jesus' letter here may be just as practical and relevant for Springville Church of the Nazarene in the 21st century as it was for Smyrna in the 1st century. So let's begin by looking at the Scripture together. Before we dig into today's text here in Revelation 2, let's just pause and ask God to speak to us clearly through His Word. Would you pray with me? God, even now, I pray that You would uh, again open our eyes that we could see. Open our ears that we would hear. Open our minds so that we can understand. Open our hearts that we may receive the seed of truth from Your Word that You have to speak to us today. Be our teacher. And may that seed of truth sprout and grow and produce in us the fruit that You desire it to produce. That we might become all that You want us to be. Use these words of encouragement for us today, I pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. So follow along in your Bible as I read. Revelation chapter 2, we pick it up at verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Once again, as with all of Jesus' letters to these churches, this letter easily divides itself into six distinct segments, beginning with the church. 
In the first part of verse 8, we read, To the angel, that is the messenger, I would believe that means the pastor of the church in Smyrna, write. So this second letter was addressed from Jesus to the church located in this city of Smyrna. Smyrna was located about 35 miles to the north of its rival Ephesus that we studied last Sunday. It claimed to be the oldest city in Asia Minor and the first in splendor. Built by Alexander the Great, he called it, in fact, the Jewel of Asia and proudly proclaimed it to be the most beautiful city in the entire world at that time. In fact, archaeology has discovered much to confirm that boast. The gorgeous hillside setting that could be seen from miles out to sea, the ornate architecture of all of the buildings, the master-planned layout of the city was amazing. The paved streets, the streetlights, and yes, even a water and sewage system. All were the most advanced and the very best of that day. Now overall, Smyrna was best known for two things. First of all, it was known for its allegiance to Rome. Although known for its many Greek gods and goddesses, Zeus, Sibyl, Dionysius, Bacchus, and so on, the city was actually better known because it worshipped Roma, the goddess of Rome. And it was dedicated to the practice of emperor worship. In fact, it built the very first actual temple to the emperor, to Caesar. When Tiberius was the Roman emperor at the peak of Rome's greatness, the citizens of Smyrna demonstrated their loyalty to him by requiring all of their citizens to hail, Caesar is Lord! Caesar is Lord! Smyrna's devotion to Roman Empire and the veneration of the emperors was legendary throughout the world at the time that Jesus wrote this letter. Now obviously, that presented a huge dilemma for the Christians in Smyrna because they worship Jesus, not Caesar, as the Lord of their lives. Allegiance to Rome. Secondly, it was known for the abundance of myrrh. A scrub tree from which was extracted a gum resin to make myrrh grew in great abundance on the hillsides surrounding Smyrna. Myrrh was an expensive perfume, ointment, or salve used for a variety of purposes in the first century. You'll recall that Jesus was presented with myrrh at His birth by the Magi. You might also recall that Joseph of Arimathea embalmed Jesus' body for burial with myrrh following his death. One little intriguing side note about myrrh. When the resin is first extracted from the tree, it is very, very bitter. And yet after it is refined, it becomes the opposite. Very, very sweet. Perhaps that's symbolic to the struggling church in Smyrna. The trials and the persecutions they were facing were bitter. And yet at the end of this refining process, they would see that it would become sweet. So allegiance to Rome, abundance of myrrh. That pretty well sums up the city of Smyrna. And it was to these believers living in this great city that Jesus addressed this letter, which brings us to the Christ. 
As the author, Jesus presents himself to the church in Smyrna with this self-designation in the latter part of verse 8. He says, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. So notice that Jesus reminds these struggling Christians of his credentials in two ways. First of all, he reminds them that he is above time. He is above time. In his own words, the first and the last. In other words, nothing was before him and nothing will be after him. He brackets all of time, all of history. As Jesus said back in Revelation 1 verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega who is and who was and who is to come. Jesus is above time. Secondly, he reminds them that he is above death. He writes, I'm the one who died and came to life again. Or as Jesus put it back in Revelation 1 and verse 18, I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I'm alive forever and ever and I hold the keys to death. The point is that Jesus, like these believers in Smyrna, suffered even to the point of death and yet He was victorious over Death. The grave could not hold Him. He is the resurrection and the life. What a word of encouragement and hope for this persecuted church. Jesus is above death. So then, what does this timeless living Christ have to say to the church in Smyrna? First, let's notice the commendation. Look again at verse 9. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet... You are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Don't miss those key words, I know. I know. Same two words, by the way, used elsewhere in Scripture to describe sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife. When a man and a woman share that physical union reserved only for marriage, they know one another in a way that no one else ever can or will. And therefore, when Jesus tells these struggling Christians this morning that He knows what they are going through, it isn't that He just knows about it. No, the picture is that He knows firsthand. He is intimately acquainted with their struggles. In fact, Jesus is letting them know that He is right there with them, experiencing their sufferings with them, even as they experience them. I know, Jesus says. What is it that Jesus knew? Three things. First of all, He knew their pressure. He knew their pressure. Jesus writes, I know your afflictions. Interesting word in its root. This Greek word was used to describe a method of torture where a victim was laid down and a huge stone was gradually rolled over him or her, crushing him inch by inch until he or she died. What a vivid picture of pressure. I mean, how many of us have ever felt like we're getting rolled over by the pressures of life, huh? In fact, I would venture to say I think some of us are probably getting crushed by that kind of pressure, that kind of affliction right now. And Jesus says to you, I know. Secondly, He knew their poverty. In fact, that's exactly what He writes. I know your 
poverty. There are two Greek words for poverty. One means that you have nothing to spare, and the other means that you have nothing at all. And it's the second word, the one that means nothing at all, that's used here. Total and complete destitution. Now few of us, if any, can identify with that kind of abject poverty. But these Christians in Smyrna experienced it day in and day out. Why? Because they would declare Jesus is Lord and not Caesar is Lord. And then the Roman soldiers would think they were traitors and would confiscate their property and their possessions. And the Jews, who of course controlled the marketplace, would refuse to do business with them. There was no place locally that they could buy, sell, or trade. Think about that for a minute. They were destitute. But Jesus quickly interjects in verse 9, doesn't He? Yet you are rich. Although they were poor materially, they were rich spiritually, and Jesus commends them for it. Their pressure, their poverty. Third, he says, I, he knew about their persecution. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Again, the Jews that lived in Smyrna were openly antagonistic toward the Christians, often testifying against them in the Roman courts. And notice that Jesus doesn't mince any words here, does he? They're not a synagogue of God, they are a synagogue of Satan. Wow. And these Jews, along with the Romans, persecuted the church in a variety of ways. Verse 9 mentions slander. Verse 10 mentions prison and death. And again, Jesus says He knows their persecution. He Himself once, you see, experienced the very same injustice. I know, your pressure, your poverty, and your persecution, Jesus says, and Jesus commends them for the way that they have persevered in the face of these unbelievable struggles. Which brings us then to the confrontation. Now here's the amazing thing about this letter to Smyrna. There is no confrontation of this church. Along with the church in Philadelphia that we'll study later in this series, these Christians do not receive any words of confrontation from Jesus. I guess we could kind of say that that's the greatest commendation of all. Jesus could point out no fault in these believers. But Jesus does have some counsel for Smyrna. Jesus' words of counsel are found, in fact, in verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death. And so in a nutshell, Jesus counsels twofold. First, He tells them to be fearless. Do not be afraid. But you see, Jesus actually warns them that the worst is yet to come. Did you notice that? <laughs> Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I mean, if they think they felt pressure and poverty and persecution before, just wait, Jesus says. It is going to get worse. 
And Jesus says, Do not be afraid. How in the world could these Christians this morning be fearless in the face of such horrible struggles? Well, I think part of their strength might come from Jesus' assurance that these struggles are only temporary. Do you notice the, the term there, ten days? Symbolic in the book of Revelation for a, a brief, definite period of time. Jesus was going, you see, to allow Satan to bring these trials and these tribulations to continue to test the faith of this church, but he was putting a limit on Satan's time period. (laughs) Ten days. And so he assures the church, do not be afraid. Be fearless. And secondly, he tells them, be faithful. Be faithful even to the point of death. Now please understand, this does not mean to be faithful until the day you die. It means to be faithful even though you know that by being faithful, you are going to have to give your life for your faith. Huge difference. Martyrdom. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's telling them to never denounce their faith, to never compromise their relationship with Him, even though they most certainly are going to die because of it. Be fearless and be faithful. That's Jesus' counsel to these struggling Christians in Smyrna. We'll talk more about how that counsel applies to us in just a little bit. But for now, let's move on to the consequences. Jesus offers two beautiful promises to those who heed His counsel to be fearless and faithful. The first has to do with the crown of life. The crown of life. In verse 10, Jesus promises, I will give you the crown of life. Now there are many different kinds of crowns that are mentioned in the Scripture, but this is the victor's wreath that's placed on the head of the one who wins the race. The crown of life. The second promise has to do with the curse of death. In verse 11, in fact, Jesus promises, He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. The promise is simply this. They may experience the first death by giving their lives as martyrs, but they will not experience the second death, which is later described in Revelation as hell the lake of fire, the place of eternal damnation for those who choose not to follow Jesus. In in other words, the, the curse of death will not hurt them. It's quite a promise. And so the one who obeys Jesus' counsel to be fearless and faithful, the believer whose faith perseveres in the face of his or her struggles, has the Lord's assurance of these two rewards. First, he or she will receive the crown of life, and second, he or she will not experience the second death, the curse of death. Well, let's look at the Scripture now. What lessons can we learn from our study together this morning? How can we apply this letter from Jesus to Smyrna to Springville Church of the Nazarene. As we allow Jesus to walk among His lampstand, our church, to thoroughly inspect our lives today, what is His Word to us this morning? Well, once again, as with the letter to Ephesus last Sunday, I don't think the lesson here is complicated at all. Simply put, I believe that Jesus is encouraging us be fearless 
and faithful. Be fearless and faithful. Jesus is walking among us right now here at Springville Church of the Nazarene. He is with us here today and He is telling us as He did the church in Smyrna, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Be faithful even to the point of death. Be fearless and be faithful. Be fearless and be faithful. Let's apply those two lessons more personally and more specifically today. Talking about first being fearless. Again, Jesus is saying to us today, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Quite frankly, the church in the U.S. today knows very little, if anything, about suffering. Unlike the Christians in Smyrna who were experiencing very real pressure, poverty, and persecution for the faith, we as Christians in Springville really have no experience with open and hostile opposition from the world. Yes, we acknowledge that we do have brothers and sisters in Christ in places like India and Syria and Iraq and Iran and China and Korea and on and on the list goes. We know those people exist who are literally giving their lives facing pressure, poverty, and persecution for their faith. By the way, just a little side note right here. Did you know that more people, more Christians, the majority of them children, over 60% actually, have been martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ worldwide in the past 16 years of this 21st century than in all of the other 20 centuries combined? Did you know that? Shocked? Yeah. It's because we don't have any idea. We're clueless. We are so far removed from it here in America, aren't we? The church in the U.S. is so comfortable, we hardly even give the persecuted church in other countries a passing thought. Look at Jesus' words again in verse 10. In fact, let's read them out loud together. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Don't miss the last few words of that verse. What you are about to suffer. Now at the risk of sounding like a sensationalist or an alarmist, I believe God wants me to warn you about what is to come this morning. I firmly believe that persecution is coming to our country. And whether it comes sooner in our lifetime or later in the lifetimes of our children and grandchildren, it is coming. The church in the U.S., you and I, are about to suffer in ways that are beyond your worst imagination. Just like the church in Smyrna, pressure, poverty, and persecution are about to come upon us. And some of us, I think, will be forced to make a decision, take a stand for Christ and die, or deny Christ and live. The Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4, Dear friends, don't be bewildered or surprised when you go through the fiery trials ahead. For there, this is no strange, unusual thing that is going to happen to you. For it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God! 
for the privilege of being in Christ's family and being called by His wonderful name. (laughs) See, the point is, we should expect that we would suffer for our faith. Jesus Himself told us in John 15, verses 18 and 19, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated Me first. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Again, pressure, poverty, and persecution are to be expected. Paul summed it up this way, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I think, again, that Jesus' first word to us this morning is, be fearless. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. And the reason that we can be fearless in facing the suffering that's about to come upon us is because Jesus assures us in verse 9, I know. I know your reflections. I know your slander. Write it down in your notes. I know. He knows. He really knows. He's intimately acquainted with the pressure, poverty, and persecution we're about to face. He knows up close and personal. He has personally experienced this very suffering himself, and he will again experience suffering right along with us. We should expect it. And maybe this is a prophetic voice this morning. But I want you to hear this. It's coming. It is coming. Let's read God's promise to us. Hebrews 13 verses 5 and 6 out loud together. Would you read this with me? God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So Jesus' first word to us is, Be fearless. Do not be afraid. I know. Jesus promises. Jesus' second word to us this morning then is be faithful. Jesus is saying to us today, be faithful even to the point of death. Again, Jesus is not saying be faithful until the day you die. No, the wording here is be faithful even though you know that your faithfulness, your loyalty, your allegiance to Christ is going to result in you having to give your very life as a martyr. The reality is some Christians in Smyrna were and some Christians in other countries today are giving their lives for their faith. To become a Christ follower in most countries today is to sign your own death warrant. And yet the church is growing more rapidly in those countries than it is here. Do we understand that? By the way, when persecuted Christians are asked, how can we help? 
Do you know what their reply is? Number one? Pray. Yeah, exactly. Please pray. And how should we pray, by the way, for persecuted Christians? Watch this. that? That's a word from persecuted Christians. Those who are being killed for their faith in Jesus are asking us to pray with them. Not that God would we would somehow deliver them from this pressure, poverty, and persecution. Not that the Lord would intervene and stop these senseless killings. No but that Jesus would give them the boldness and the courage to take a stand for Him. To be faithful. To always to the very end say, Jesus is Lord. Even if that costs them their very lives. Read Revelation 12 and verse 11. Out loud with me. Let's read this together. They triumphed over Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. That's a prophetic word a little later in Revelation about martyrs. Don't miss that last phrase. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. In the words of Jesus in today's text, they were faithful even to the point of death. If and when that moment comes when you have to decide between life and death, which will you choose? If and when you have a choice to take a stand for Christ and lose your life, or deny Christ and save your life, what will be your decision. Will you be willing to pay the price? I don't know when that's going to come. But it will come. Until then, perhaps the more practical and relevant question for us today is this. Will you be willing to take a public stand for Christ even though it may cost you to do so? Later today, when one of your family members or friends says something derogatory about Jesus, will you have the guts to speak up for the Lord even though it may cost you your relationship? Tomorrow, when you have the opportunity to defend your faith with one of your co-workers, will you take a stand for God even though it may bring you ridicule and you may in fact lose your job? This week when you're faced with the decision to go along with the crowd or to resist and walk the narrow way, will you risk your popularity in order to remain faithful and true to the Lord? 
You see, before we dismiss this application point as something that's impractical and irrelevant for today, something that's in the future, we need to realize that each and every day we are given opportunities to take a stand for Jesus. Will we be faithful? Will we be bold and courageous? Will we openly and publicly take a stand for Christ? Will we unashamedly be a witness and testify without regard for the consequences that may come to us? Frankly, we cannot even begin to question, to address the question of being faithful to the point of death until first we address the question of being faithful. Even if it costs us a little bit. Like our comfort. Or our popularity. Or our pride. Or our relationships. Or whatever else. I mean, how can we be talking about being faithful to the point of death when we won't even be faithful while we're living? Again, Jesus' second word to us this morning is be faithful. Be faithful even to the point of death. And the reason we can be faithful when faced with the opportunity to take a stand is because we have Jesus' assuring words in verse 10. I will. I will give you the crown of life. Write it down in your notes. I will. He will. He really will. We have His word on it. And so Jesus' second word to us is be faithful. Be faithful even to the point of death. Because I will, Jesus says. You've got mail. Letters to the church. This morning we're taking a closer look here at Revelation 2 verses 8 through 11. Jesus' letter to the church in Smyrna. Be fearless. Be faithful. Be fearless. Be faithful. We can't leave this without looking at the first part of verse 11. <laughs> he who has an ear. Anybody here have an ear? Yeah. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It wasn't long after Jesus wrote this letter that the church historian Eusebius wrote a polycarp the angel, the pastor, if you will, of this church of Smyrna in the early 2nd century. When he was 86 years old, Polycarp was arrested by Roman soldiers. Eusebius tells us that when the soldiers came to his house to take him away, he actually invited them in and asked them to be his guest for a meal. And while they were eating, he asked for permission to excuse himself and withdrew to his private chambers to spend some time in prayer. An hour later, when he stepped from his chamber, Eusebius writes that the power of God was on him so strongly that the soldiers actually backed away in fear. Polycarp left his house of his own accord. And he walked through the city directly to the stadium where he would meet his certain death. On the way there, because Polycarp was well-liked in the community, actually, two prominent city leaders pleaded with him, just declare Caesar as Lord. You don't even have to mean it. Just say it and you will live. But he refused. 
when Polycarp entered the arena, the capacity crowd heard a voice, miraculously, it seems, above the noise. A voice that said, Do not be afraid. Appearing before the Roman magistrates, they once again appealed to him to deny Jesus and to declare Caesar as Lord, to which he gave his historic reply you saw on the screen earlier. Eighty and six years have I served him and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my King and my Savior? The crowds began to sneer and called for his life. Jews, even though it was the Sabbath day, gathered wood <laughs> for a fire. And they tied Polycarp to the stake and began to burn his body. And Eusebius writes that something unusual happened while his body was burning. It seemed like his body was somehow unaffected by the fire. Almost as if there was a protective shield around him to keep him from the flames. And yet the crowd could sense that he was burning because of the smell. Not of burning flesh. But of burning incense. Eusebius writes that the sweet odor of myrrh filled the entire stadium. In panic, a Roman spear pierced Polycarp's side. And Eusebius writes that a holy hush fell over the entire Colosseum and that soldiers were seen falling to their knees crying out for God's mercy. You see, Polycarp took Jesus' counsel to heart. He was fearless and he was faithful even though it cost him his life. The question this morning is, will you and I be the same? Let's pray. Lord, you uh, always seem to have something that we need to hear. And I think we needed to hear this today. It's not an easy message to preach. It's not an easy message to practice. But I believe your word to us today is true. Prophetic though it may be, we need to be fearless. And we need to be faithful because that day is coming and now is when we will be, in fact, persecuted for our faith just because we say Jesus is Lord. Let us be ready if and when that day comes that we have to make that decision between life and death, let us be ready to choose You. To declare Jesus as Lord even if it costs us our very lives. Please, Lord. But even more so right now, let us be ready to be fearless and to be faithful today. Whatever that may mean, may we be a fellowship of the unashamed. 
May we take a stand for You in a way that we've never taken a stand before. May we be fearless and faithful even this week. Help us, O God, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.